0: Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Let's get back into this series. If you didn't see Austin's sermon last week, you should definitely go look it up. It's on 1 John chapter 2, and it was so, so good. I'm actually gonna reference it a couple of times here. I feel like the first time I preached in this series was a test on how well I could excavate the text, right? Because if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, I had five verses. This week is like the exact opposite test. I have 57 verses today, okay? So if we, if we do a little bit of math, I spent 35 minutes talking about five verses two weeks ago. Second service is going to start at 3.30, okay? You guys are going to buckle in for the next six and a half hours, because Austin's out of town, and he doesn't know. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm joking. I'm joking. But John is on full display today in the the two chapters that we're going to look at, which is chapter three and chapter four of his first letter. And John is very cyclical, as we've talked in his writing. He's very repetitive, And so today, I have just been very careful to pick out verses that I think are important for us in this moment. But hear me. These two chapters have gold all over them. And so I would encourage you in this week, in your quiet time, I've saved some gold for you to mine out. Go get it. Go get it. So today's sermon is going to boil down to three very simple phrases. See the love, feel the love, and be the love. Last week, Austin briefly mentioned the little children refrain that John mentions a lot in this letter. He calls the people of Christ little children that he's writing to. And when he said that last week, it reminded me of one of my favorite professors from college. You see, I had two favorite professors. One was this East East Coast Jewish woman from New York that swore like a sailor and just expected the best from us. I mean, she was an incredible woman. But the other professor I had, his name was Dr. Embry. And he was a Duke graduate, which if you know me, I kind of bleed baby blue for the Tar Heels. And so that was like a hurdle. We had to get over it, but we made it. And Dr. Embry ended up being my favorite professor. He had this refrain that he said to us called young ones. And every single time he said young ones to us, there was so much respect and love and expectation of greatness for us, that it just spurred us on all the more. I can remember one of, one of my classmates asking for a little more clarity on one of the assignments that he gave us. And he just turned to the class, like a little glint in his eye and said, young ones, brilliance comes in all forms and fashions. I expect nothing less than your brilliance. And it was like, oh. Man, he's not calling us young ones because he doesn't think we're capable of greatness. He calls us young ones because he's just older and he's seen way more life than us. And he loves us so, so dearly. And this is what John does when he calls us little children. He has so much love for us, so much expectation, yes, of what we are doing as followers of Christ, but he totally believes in us. He totally spurs us on to be better with every time that he says it. So the first thing we're going to look at is see the love, which is going to be 1 John 3, 1. Starting in 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We are children of God. Once we declared that Jesus is the Lord of our life, we were given the spirit of adoption. We're grafted into this eternal family of God and his children. This is who we are. I am a child of God. You see, last week, Austin said this phrase that I really loved. I tried to rephrase it. I tried to make it sound a little bit different, but honestly, we're just gonna borrow from his brilliance. He said last week, you will fall into what you put your weight on. Now, I love this phrase because it perfectly translates to conversations around identity. Let's take a hypothetical identity. Let's say you find your identity in being a teacher. I did that a couple years ago, okay? I was a teacher. And being a teacher and placing my weight on it meant I was gonna be a teacher every second of every single day, which meant I was teaching the neighbors next door how to use their garage door. I was teaching my spouse how to fill up the ice trays properly. Yes, I did that. And I'm very ashamed of it. (laughs) But you see, because it was an identity, it was going into every facet of my life. And then, when I got the call to be a youth pastor, that identity was being shifted. It was being moved. Something that I had put weight on was now being changed. And I didn't realize how much weight I was putting on being a teacher until I felt God call me to do something else for Him. You see, if we place our weight in something that someone else can strip us of, like a boss or a board of directors, then the opportunity for your whole life to get flipped upside down in a moment is so easy. You see, I think, I think this might be why retirement is so scary for some, because for 30 or 40 years, you did something. You did that one job. That's how you're known in the community. That's how people know who you are. And then it goes away. You retire. And now you're asking yourself the question, who am I? How do I bring meaning into this world? I want to be a pastor for the rest of my working life, but I'm already having to do so much work to remind myself that I'm not placing my weight on being a pastor. It's part of who I am, for sure. I have many roles, like father and husband, brother, son, and, and yes, pastor. But all of these can pass away in a moment. Every single one, whether through tragedy or through choice. I have to be careful that I don't ground myself in an identity that's going to change. And so I would place this to you, that identity, it needs eternity. Let me unpack that just a little bit. This life, this life is hard, right? I think we can all agree this life is really hard at times. It's full of distractions. It's full of afflictions. It's, it's suffocating and it can be defeating and all encompassing at times but someone whose identity is rooted in being a child of God, you just cannot be held down for long. And you know why? Because as children of God, we know that he sent Jesus down to save us and that our destiny is eternity with him. The one identity that we get here on this earth that we get to carry on into eternity is a child of God. Yeah, amen, it's a big deal. It's so cool, it's so cool. There's this spot in the Chronicles of Narnia in the final book. These people, these people groups, they've been going through Narnia, doing all these crazy, wonderful things, right? And C.S. Lewis writes this in the end of the book. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at least they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever forever in which every chapter is better than the one before. This life, the things we do here, they are important. They are critical, but they're just the title and they're just the cover page. And I find great hope in that, actually, because it means the things of this world, they're passing, they're temporary, even the really difficult things. Yes, that means the good things too, but I look to a greater hope. Right? It's like Romans 8:18, 8, where Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. I don't wanna minimize the hurt or the difficulty that this life brings, but I do wanna to point to a greater hope. You see, this world is, gonna, is offering phony identities and phony things to place our weight in all the time. And we have to be practiced in constantly bringing God's love for us into view. Because if we see the love that he has for us, all these other identities, all these other things that challenge the fact that I'm a child of God just fall away. Because in my head, I can be reminded that he loves me and that my destiny is in eternity. It's not in this job. It's not in even being a, like a father. That could change. It's hard to say, but it's true. And I, and I love I love just being able to think about this because seeing the love is just reading the Bible. Plain and simple, reading the Bible every day. We have to read the Bible every day. I certainly need to read the Bible every day because I need to be reminded every single day that I am his beloved child. Because that just informs everything I do from there. So that's see the love. We're gonna move to feel the love now, which is gonna be in 1 John 4, verses one through four. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So in this passage, we see a little bit of the the dualism that I talked about. John sets up two people groups here, right? People of the spirit of the Antichrist and people of the spirit of God. And the Greek word used here for spirit is actually pneuma, which means wind, John is asking his fellow Christians in the faith to be testing the winds of their day. I love that because we can apply that directly to our life. They had some false teachings as we talked about that they were trying to combat, but we do as well. I don't know about you guys, but we live in a very windy time. You just just feel that, right? You feel the winds of this world, right? Things like finding truth internally within ourselves instead of finding it externally in God's word and his truth. Or things like hoping or placing our hope in government offices and that if they don't match our beliefs, our hope is lost. Or things like money being the key to life. And that if you don't have X amount of dollars in your bank account, then you didn't do anything meaningful in this life. Or my favorite one, (laughs) things like creating a platform for yourself. Right? Our world will make you believe that you have to promote your own brand, that your value comes from likes, mentions, views, and how much engagement that post got. It's a windy time that we live in. We have to test the winds of this world, and we have to trust the Lord to make our paths straight. There's something that I, I think we need to be asking ourselves when we hear something, and before we internalize it or put it on our heart, I think we should ask ourselves Okay, does this line up with God's word? Number one, right? Does this line up with God's word? But then number two, does this person proclaim Jesus as their Lord and Savior? And that second one, that gets rid of a lot of stuff in the day. A lot of stuff. If they're not clear on who they proclaim to be Lord of their life, I'm not saying you can't listen to them. I'm not saying you can't glean anything from them. We have to be very careful about what we decide to internalize and where we decide to internalize things from. You see, I think feeling the love comes from guarding our hearts. As it says in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life. You see, if we let the world's winds dictate our hearts and our affections, then we will just be like little children as they're mentioned in Ephesians Ephesians 4.14 says so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Being tossed around to and fro by the waves and winds of this world are going to leave you battered and bruised, beaten down by trying to find love and approval through these practicing of the ways of the world attempting to meet every metric that they have in order for you to feel love. And so now this section section kind of becomes, okay, well, how do I feel? How do I practice feeling the love of God? I think number one is prayer. We're gonna feel the love through prayer. Seeking him in the prayer closet, spending time alone with him, sharing our heart with him. When you share your heart with someone at lunch or coffee, what happens? You bond with them. That's what prayer is for us. It's taking our our hopes, our dreams, our concerns, our loves, our doubts to him, what's on our heart, and then contending with him in prayer through that. That's number one, prayer. That's how we feel love. Number two is worship. I mean, I have no other, I mean, I, I could just use this morning. Use this morning, right? Some of the things that we said this morning were take this freedom, take this love. Can you feel it rising up? He's alive, he's alive. We sang, here in your presence, strongholds break, freed by the love that you gave. Just singing those things that he comes out of the tomb reminds me that he loves me. We're gonna sing at the end, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more, praise the Lord. Worship draws up love in us and affection for him. It always has, it always will. We were designed for worship. And then the third one is passions. Now I know this one's a little maybe weird, but it's a little less concrete, but it is very real nonetheless. God has given everyone in here passions. And I don't know, if, has anyone here seen uh, Chariots of Fire? It's an older movie, yeah? Okay, great, yeah, yeah. So Eric Liddell is the runner in that movie that they are portraying. And he loved the Lord. He ran for the Lord, that's what he did. And this is what he said, I love this quote. He says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Our passions are hardwired into us by God. And when we do them, we can feel the love of the Lord. I love to write. So I set aside time to write, even in the craziest craziness of this. That doesn't mean I'm good at writing, no. But I know that God put it in me because every single time that I set aside time to write, I feel the love of the Lord and his presence on me. So through prayer, through worship, and through our passions, we feel the love of the Lord. These things are so important because having regular rhythms for these things It just reminds us that God loves us. And so if we're not regularly turning to praying, worship, and God, you're probably not feeling the love from the Lord. And what happens when you don't feel love from someone? Well, you, you ignore them or you walk away, right? We don't want to do that with the Lord. We have to be continually reminded that he loves us and he has a love for us. So, so far, before we get to be the love, because that's obviously where we're headed. I know, you're so surprised. Uh, it, it's essential to understand that these two work in tandem. See the love and feel the love. If you want to explain it this way, see the love is like head knowledge, right? Having God's promises just imprinted on my brain so in a moment's noticed, I can bring them into view for me. But then feel the love is like heart knowledge. It's written on my heart. I know because I've had tender times with the Lord. So that when something, a a doctrine from this world that sounds good, but doesn't line up with him, I know, no, the Holy Spirit's not in that. He is not in that. And so if you've got the head and the heart, what we have left is the body. And being the love is the body. If you have the head and the heart, your body will follow, right? And so that's what be the love is all about. So we're gonna look at, 1 John 3, 18, which says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And then in 1 John 4, 18, and then verse 21, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So we've got three verses here and two takeaways. One takeaway is gonna be for as we go out into the world. And then the second takeaway is gonna be for us here with our fellow brothers and sisters of the faith. So the first one, in the world, we squash division and we cast out fear. Herman Melville says this, he says, ignorance is the parent of fear. And being as completely nonplussed and confounded about this stranger I see, I confess I was now as much afraid of him as if he was the devil himself, who had thus broken into my room at the dead of night. This is from a book where he talks about a character who doesn't know this new person that he's going to meet. And this ignorance, this scare, right? He doesn't know this person, it creates fear in him. And then there's judgment that that follows after. And I think we see this so much for us. A fear carried into a conversation will quickly turn into judgment, or misunderstanding, or both. And the perfect love that we have from Christ should embolden us to walk into conversations, not with righteous judgment or anger, but instead with love and care for the other person across the table. You see, this world is is full of us acting out irrationally because we're afraid of what other people might say or do. But when you sit down and you have lunch or coffee with someone and you hear their story, you talk to them, it humanizes them. It's no longer the fear that dehumanizes them. It says, blessed are the peacemakers in the Sermon on the Mount, for they shall be called sons of God. Sinners sin. Okay? We are always so surprised by that, though. <laughs> broken people make broken decisions. We aren't perfect either. We have to be going out of our way to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers, Peace. Makers. It means I see someone, I know maybe we have beef, or we don't agree on something, but I'm going out of my way to make peace with them, so that I can live peaceably with all others. It's so much easier to dehumanize someone, right, through fear. We have enough people sowing division in this world. Am I right? It's obvious that this, this world needs peacemakers, across all areas of our life. Too much harm in, has been done in relationships in my life because I couldn't swallow my pride and take someone out to lunch and be reminded of their humanity and then make peace with them. So that's number one. Number two, in the church, we encourage one another. I love, uh, I love this verse from John 13:34 through 35. It says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, the way that you love one another. I think at times on my worst days, I can get a little competitive with my fellow pastors here on staff. Uh, It's like, hey, did you hear that sermon from John Tyson? Crazy good, so good. Oh yeah, that sermon about John Mark Comer. Yeah, I've already listened to it. Yeah, it's really good. Yep, great stuff, great stuff. Oh, my time with the Lord this week? Incredible. Glory portals were coming out, like, the Shekinah glory was shining on me. I'm tan. I'm actually tan from his holiness this week. Yeah. Um, and we as humans, we get competitive about the weirdest stuff, right? We get even competitive in our own walks with the Lord. And I, I'm a track coach. Well, actually, I was a track coach. I finished up my last season two weeks ago. Praise the Lord. Um But I I love coaching. I really do. I've done it for the last nine years, and we're just in a new season of life. I've got Harvey. I care more about hanging out with Sarah and Harvey than I do coaching track, but I'll get back to it eventually, and I want to share a story today because coaching does give me the opportunity to see some pretty incredible things happen through sports, and it's why sports are so profound, and we'll end with this story. Levi Smella is an eighth grader. He has been part of track for the last three years. He had high hopes going into this season. He is a long-distance runner, which for those of you that aren't familiar with track, that's the two-mile, it's the mile, and the 800, which is two laps around the track. And he came up to me at the beginning of the season. And he said, coach, I'm going to break the record on every single one of them. I was like, okay, okay. And we've had a lot of D1 athletes come through, Walt Clark, over the years. And so those records are not easy records to be broken. One of them is 30 years old in the mile, was how old that record was, which is pretty good for a school that's only been open for like 40 years. And so Levi had this goal. And one by one, he didn't just break each record, he shattered them. The two mile, he broke by 25 seconds. The 800, he broke by eight seconds. And the mile, yes, the mile, the 30-year-old one, he broke by seven seconds. And it was just stunning. It was so cool to watch someone do what they know how to do better than anyone else. And after he broke the records, he was just so excited, right? But he always, he went over to these other two guys, from another school, Irwin Middle School, we run for Walt Clark Middle School, and they're a rival, really, and he would give them hugs, give them nucks, give them high fives, and I didn't really, I didn't pay much attention to it, but I have a picture that I wanna show you guys of them running. So this is all three of them. Levi's in the middle, Grant's in the front, and Sean's in the back, and you'll notice something. I know it's a granny photo. It's like this photo was taken 100 years ago, but it was two weeks ago. Um, <laughs> He's got, they all have pink shoes on. Now you'll notice, they have different uniforms on, but they all have pink shoes on. (laughs) Those two young men, all three of them, they trained this summer, and I didn't know about it. No idea, I don't know why I'm getting so emotional. But they loved each other so much, the goal was to finish the race. It wasn't to get first, second, or third. The goal was to do as best as they could by spurring one another on. And I remember watching this race and thinking, holy crap, this is Hebrews. Like this is spur one another on, right? As it says in Hebrews, if we have it. I think we have it. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neg- neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near, this is what we do for one another we encourage one another to be better than we ever could have been by ourselves. Just like Levi, Grant, and Sean. It's not the uniforms that we all come in on church wearing. It's the shoes that we have on, right? It's the shoes that we have on that keep us together. Oh, I just love it. It's just the corn. I couldn't I could not say it. So we're gonna transition into a time of communion. If you haven't grabbed communion, didn't grab communion on your way in, there should be people maybe walking around with some extra communion for you. Um, But we're gonna have some prompts for you during communion. And we talked about seeing the love, feeling the love, and being the love. So if you can throw those prompts up there, Judy. So just to recap, see the love is about identity, placing our identity in God spending every day in his words so that we can quickly bring his promises into view for us. And then the second one was feel the love. We have prayer, worship, and passions. And then B, the love is all about casting out fear and encouraging one another in the faith. So if you're struggling with any of these areas, come to his table. Ask that you would have a desire to know his word. Seek him through prayer to feel the love. Or ask him for grace so that you can be encouraging to the brothers and sisters around you, or to cast out fear and conversations. You can take anyone can take communion here, a good shepherd. We just ask that you know the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the people in this room. Thank you for this opportunity we had to gather as the saints. Lord, I pray you bless mothers today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.